Hi there, listener. It's Matthew. You've come looking for an episode of the Children's Book Podcast, and you've found it. Hooray! But you're probably wondering why the name of the podcast has changed. After eight years of doing the Children's Book Podcast, I began a new career as head of podcasts at A Kid's Company About, where I now oversee a podcast network dedicated to producing original content that talks up to kids, centers the things going on in their world, and engages and challenges how they see the world and themselves. All of the episodes of the Children's Book Podcast are still here, but now, if you're subscribed, you'll get new episodes of Worth Noting, a kid's podcast about current events, hosted by me. Something for you and the young people in your life to enjoy together. Enjoy this episode, and I hope you'll check out Worth Noting and other podcasts from a kid's company about... Support for the Children's Book Podcast comes from listeners like you. I love bringing you these conversations each week, and I love hearing from you on Twitter and Instagram when you've connected with a book or an episode. Makes me feel like we're all doing our part to make children's literature a little more awesome for our readers. If you've enjoyed the Children's Book Podcast and want to give a little back, you could support the show for as little as a dollar by visiting patreon.com slash matthewcwinner. I've set a goal of 100 patrons, and we're about halfway there. Once we reach that goal, I'll be able to start monthly giveaways eligible to anyone supporting the show. How much would you love to receive a box of books from me? (laughs) Visit patreon.com slash matthewcwinner and keep up the awesome. Our emotions are in those open spaces. People always say white space, but I think of it as open space between lines and between stanzas. That's where the echoes of our emotions are and we can meet in midair there and understand each other. (laughs) Yes, yes. Historians have overlooked and omitted the experiences of many which sent this poet on a monumental task. This is the Children's Book Podcast, episode number 573. I'm your host, Matthew Winner. Today I'm joined by Margarita Engel, author of Dreams from Many Rivers, a Hispanic history of the United States told in poems. Margarita blends voices of real people with fictionalized accounts in order to create a book of many voices and many experiences in order to represent Hispanic history in the U.S. Choosing poetry as her vessel helped to make the history personal, bringing us closer to the characters and speaking to our present through moments of the past. It's quite an exceptional work, and I hope you'll be equally moved when you read it, let alone from this conversation. Something that really stuck with me is Margarita's reminder that we often fail to acknowledge the diversity within the diversity. Dreams from Many Rivers does an outstanding job of doing exactly that through intimacy and a shared historical context. Please welcome my guest, Margarita Engel, author of Dreams from Many Rivers. My name is Margarita Engel. I'm the author of Dreams from Many Rivers, A Hispanic History of the United States Told in Poems. 
I uh, am she, her. And I chose to subtitle that a Hispanic history rather than a Latinx history because this book goes so far back in time that some of the people uh, in the history were actually from Spain. And then, of course, some were indigenous also. And as we proceed through the centuries of U.S. Latinx history, we get to be more and more mestizo mixed. Margarita, this book is exceptional. It was one that, uh, I should say, my wife often asks me, so who are you interviewing this week? And as I share my excitement for who the individual is and what they write, I found myself saying, you won't believe what lengths this author went to to share this story. I'm I'm so impressed and amazed and just what what you're offering with Dreams from Many Rivers is something unlike anything I've read before and it's done so beautifully. Uh, I, I'm grateful that you shared it with me and with, with all of us. Thank you so much. It was actually a monumental task and it was also not my idea. It was the editor's idea, Laura Godwin uh, at Holt, who now has her own imprint, Laura Godwin Holt Macmillan, um, about at least eight years ago, asked me to write a history and verse of all U.S. Hispanic Latinx history from the beginning. And I said, you mean in one place? And she said, no, no, the whole country. Uh, everything, everything, you do it all. And I, well, that's impossible. And so I wrote Bravo instead and sent it to her and and she said, oh, yes, we'll publish this, but also go back and write that other one. Where is it? I want that other one. And I'm like, well, that's too big. It's too many centuries and too many thousands of miles. I mean, every state of the United States and um, Puerto Rico. And it's just, it's immense. I, I, I couldn't imagine doing it. But as the years went on, I kept researching all the people. And when it breaks down to individuals, this book is a mixture of uh, historical figures who include, I include the surname on those poems, and fictional characters where there is no surname so that a reader can immediately tell them apart. Um, when I use a fictional character, it's to represent a group of people who had a certain experience, even though there may not be one individual who is recorded by historians. And that's really the main reason for this book to exist, is that historians have overlooked and omitted all the experiences of ordinary people and the experiences of remarkable people who didn't happen to be white men. <laughs> so uh, I, it, was, it was a real research task. It was very much like mining for gold, uh, reading bibli bibliographies to find out where there are more references, and then just going farther and farther back in time and finding individuals who 
did amazing things. And they're people who should be known. Every single one of the individuals whose surname is recorded here, with the exception of the conquistadores who already have books about them, but all the others, the ones who, who weren't um, the conquerors and weren't the brutal uh, oppressors, I feel like they all deserve books of their own. And uh, as soon as this book was published, I started telling other younger Latinx authors who have decades and decades ahead of them to write many, many books, um, you know, write about all these people. I can't do them all myself. <laughs> I, I did do Dancing Hands, how Teresa Carreño played the piano for President Lincoln. Yes. After learning about her, I, I singled her out as someone that I did want to do um, an entire picture book about. But the, all of the others deserve to be known, too. I had. So, oh no, I'm Laura, was, Laura was right, and I was wrong. Uh, I dedicated the book to her for that reason. Um, she thought this could be done. I didn't think it could be done, but I worked on it, and um, I'm so glad that I did. I'm grateful to her for challenging me. <laughs> I um, would love to share with Laura that your exceptional work caused me to dog ear what looks like about every other page. <laughs> I should take a picture to share with others. On my arc, I just, every poem, I just dog ear the, 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 the most minuscule corner of the page to not, to preserve the book as much as I could. And I found, my word, I'm saving everything. That This was an education for me. This was an opportunity to reflect and to think on how the impact of colonialism then is something that still reverberates today and not in some cases in a way that has diminished all that much. It's still really shaking the community. We are still making Hispanic and Latinx people invisible uh, we're still pervading with this white history, this white story, and and to to read it in in the way that you have put forth, which is to say that you have given voice to these individuals, both the individuals from history and the individuals as a group, is something that immediately makes the work so personal that thank you well yeah. i that's something that's really left out of the standard history books is the emotions you know how does how did it feel to be in that place in time and that's something that i feel uh poetry is particularly suited to because um poetry is so personal and i hope that young readers you know Will when they read this, they'll go, well, she left out, you know, they'll know something about somebody in their own state or in their own city who was left out, and they can write those poems, and then it becomes interactive. I love that but, a lot. But I, I did not have a lot of trouble deciding where to start the book. I knew that U.S. history has to start in Puerto Rico. 
And it has to start before the conquest. To me, that was very important. And I told Laura, I will only do this book if I can start it there instead of starting it at the standard, um, you know, with the Mayflower. <laughs> that just, that's just totally irrelevant. That was much later. U.S. Latinx history starts with the conquest and starts before the conquest in Puerto Rico with the ways that the indigenous people were living before the conquest. What was hard to decide was where to end it mm. because, because things kept happening. <laughs> I mean, I could, have been, I could have kept going and ended it this week with the earthquakes in Puerto Rico that are being completely ignored by the U.S. government. Just absolutely no help at all. Um, that was the real dilemma in writing a contemporary book rather, you know, having a contemporary ending rather than a historical ending a long time ago was this book actually ends, you know, a couple, like a year and a half ago. Um, so much has happened since then that could have been included, including the children in cages. Mm. It's, it's it's devastating um all of it to give voice to children speaking these truths throughout history to give voice to individuals who saw their language taken away that saw their families um individuals being being raped, being that there's so much, there's so much here. And, um, and to know, like you're saying that things still go on and that we still treat Puerto Rico like, like others, like, um, not our issue, not our people, not our problem. Like we do so many other things. Um, I hope, and I'd like to feel confident in in schools with our educators, with what is going on in 2019 into 2020, that our teachers are are listening and are seeing their children and are seeing all people and are trying to lean in um, and give children that education that that some of us did not receive growing up because education didn't focus on minority voices. support for the children's book podcast comes from storyteller academy learn the art of storytelling and unlock your creative potential with a team of story coaches and published professionals helping you achieve your creative goals sign up today at storytelleracademy.com really would like them to take away from this though is not an image of us as victims and the oppressed. I tried to balance this book by including so many creative people, scientists, mathematicians, people who did things uh, no matter what the obstacles they had to overcome, but people who um, as individuals and as groups 
were exhilarated about life and doing something wonderful despite the history. I think it's important to uh, carry on that um, sense of hope throughout. Yes, I was just going to use that word. Mm -hmm. Throughout these centuries, uh, there were always people working to make things better and people who were creative as individuals. I think it's important to know that that we are very complex. Latinx people, we are complex. We cannot be simplified. We're not all refugees. We're not all um, um, oppressed. You know, we range from uh, people who came here because of their particular skills. They already had PhDs when they arrived. Uh, and then people, you know, who, who became Nobel Prize winners in medicine. Uh, artists, musicians, scientists, everybody, in addition to the people who came for asylum, who came as refugees, who came or who were already here before the U.S. was established. I think it's important that we see how complex we have a tendency to think of this as one culture, Mm. but we're actually Mm. coming from many countries and from many Uh, levels of education and uh, social background and so forth. Did your title for your book, was that, was that there all along those many rivers? The title comes very directly from a poem by Julia de Burgos, a wonderful Puerto Rican poet. Y mi niñez fue toda un poema en el río. Y un río en el poema de, de mis primeros sueños. And my childhood was all a poem in the river and a river in the poem of my first dreams. So I took her poem because I did want to start in Puerto Rico. And then I, I thought of all the rivers in all the countries that we've come from. Mm. That poem, which starts out the book, I love on that page turn that we're greeted by Beatriz Gutierrez Hernandez's art. And we and we visit that art throughout this book. I feel like that art um, in so many ways contributes to, is something more than just simple spot illustrations or ornamentations to your words. Uh, There's so much that is being told in those illustrations as well. And to go from those different sections that the book is broken into and to see a nation and and a people um, traveling, um, migrating, spreading across the nation um, and, and where these stories are coming from, becoming the voice of a nation, uh, I found so powerful what a beautiful again something that is that in format seems atypical to what uh we typically encounter in 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 a book like this thank you i think she did a beautiful job on the illustrations and i was so thrilled to see maps mm-hmm. i wish <laughs> i wish that every book had a map um 
there was a time when it, certainly any historical novel might have had a map, but I don't think we do enough of that with young readers. And uh, I think it was very important here. I love the way she balanced illustrations of individuals and group illustrations where you'd see many people so that you see the diversity just on the cover so that you see that, you know, there's Afro-Latinx and there's Asian-Latinx and there's, you know, indigenous and mestizo and so many different uh, sources of origin as well as the people of, of Spanish ancestry. And in, you, you go to Argentina and half the people are Italian. You know, it's mm. this incredible. One thing that we, we often fail to acknowledge is the diversity within diversity. Hmm. We we're trying we're trying to break down people down into these simple groups, and we just aren't simple. So those group scenes really show the variety of, of people, and I love that. The diversity within the diversity. I love the way you word that, and in those maps, as you mentioned too, we have maps that are developing maps of our country that was our our nation before it was a nation. So the map. Is, is sort of being filled in as we go and and different areas of the country are being um, like the the they're like grayed in uh, as a means of, of drawing the attention to where where we are in where these voices are coming from I just found it what a, a, a wonderful tool to refer back to as we read these different poems from these different voices because you have not only named the poem in the individual, but given note to where in the country or in the world we are and what time we are in as well. It's really complex, but I tried to, um, you know, simplify it as much as I, I could without losing the importance of the complexity. You know, there are things that uh, people have a tendency to forget such as that, you know, okay, here I live in California. It was Mexico until not that long ago. You know, I mean, uh, it's it's just middle of the 1800s, it became the U.S. by force. Uh, it's kind of shocking when you think about it that people uh, don't think that Mexicans should be able to cross the border back and forth to visit the other sides of their families. Anyone who lives in the U.S. undocumented is not free to travel back and forth visiting relatives. And those kinds of things are so, um, so basic. Mm. Being able to visit relatives is such a basic privilege. Mm. Yeah. Margarita, when you were writing this book, did you what did that structure of, of the book coming together look like for you? Were you sort of piecing individuals that you wanted to give voice to throughout history and peoples? Did you start at the beginning and move forward or, or hop around? What did that what did that process look like? I hopped around in the research a mm -hmm. lot. Yeah. And, and and I didn't even try to list references because there were just too many. And 
And I couldn't really give a further reading sort of reference list because most of it wouldn't be written for young readers. So mm, I just, yeah. uh, I just hope people will trust me that I did research it and that it is documented. But um, I did go, I did start at the beginning with the writing. The research was very comprehensive, um, but the, with the writing. Um, I tried to simplify what I saw as a fairy tale task, you know, weave straw into gold or something along those lines. <laughs> uh, this this uh, impossible task. It seemed like an impossible task to me, but I can do it one poem at a time. So I did start at the beginning and take one person at a time, one poem at a time. And that's always the way I write. I've always believed that nobody would ever write a book if we thought we had to write a whole book. We wake up in the morning and we work on this page. And that that's realistic. When you think of writing, you know, a whole book about the whole history, you would you get intimidated. So you face one page at a time. Yeah. I would love to hear this entire book read, but I wonder if there's a particular poem that that you share with readers or that, I mean, as I said, I've got, I don't know, <laughs> let's call it, <laughs> conservatively, I've got 50 pages dog-eared. <laughs> and as I've been talking to you, I'm leafing through going, I wonder where I could even express back to you how much I love your words and how much I love how you give voice to these individuals. Do you mind if I share a poem that did connect with me throughout the reading? Oh, yes, yeah, sure. Thanks. And then I would love to hear you if you have the book handy. I'm, I'm pulling from Excluded, uh, which is Pablo de la Guerra um, in California in 1870. Because it felt so much like you were talking about today in this history. Your uh, poem reads, Even though I've held many public offices, now I'm eliminated from elections on the basis of race. So I hire a lawyer who proves my U.S. citizenship, but he can't convince the courts that I look white enough to vote, run for office, or even own land. My proud brown skin color from Indios in my Mexican ancestry will determine my future, a voiceless life in this atmosphere of governmental arrogance, unless the laws are changed and then enforced. There was something so powerful to leave that line, unless the laws are changed and then enforce that it it that that I was called attention to the nature of laws and how it's not good enough to pass a law, but reminded that we have to enforce it, we have to uphold it for change to last and to move history forward. Yes, you're right. That's um, sort of a Jim Crow situation in California in that era. And, you know, there's a lot of that now. 
And I do hope that a child reading that poem might think, oh, you know, I want to be a lawyer. Uh, I hope that a child reading any one of these poems might think, oh, I want to be a scientist or, you know, <laughs> maybe I could be a, a Nobel Prize winner and so forth. Um, a poem that I would choose to read is page 117, The Courage to Dance, Jose Limon, New York, 1947. And the reason I'm choosing this poem is that it's after World War II. He's, he came to the United States um, as a refugee from violence in Mexico. He served in the U.S. Army. And then he became a dancer and he pioneered uh, male roles for modern dance. Uh, until Jose Limon, modern dance was thought as, of as feminine and men weren't supposed to do it. So I love reversing what I did with Drum Dream Girl and being able to say, oh, look, here's a situation where people said, boys shouldn't do this, only girls should do that. Mm. <laughs> and so uh, I, I really uh, admired his courage the poem is titled The Courage to Dance. After serving in the U.S. Army, I returned to my own natural world, the stage. So many people say that ballet and modern dance are too feminine for men, but I crave wings. So I soar inside the theater, proving that strong muscles can help me become an eagle. Human movement is a bridge between solid ground and dream-like air. Leap, fall, rise, work, listen, learn. At school in Tucson, Arizona, other children made fun of my accent. So I studied constantly mastering the pronunciation of each English syllable perfectly. Now I work just as hard at teaching young dancers how to fly like the songbirds I watched in my grandmother's garden back in Mexico long before I became my winged self. And um, Beatriz Gutierrez Hernandez did the most beautiful illustrations on the facing page of Jose Limon flying through the air with birds all around him. Yeah. So that... I feel like... <laughs> Go ahead. I want the children to see the triumphs too and not just the oppression. Yeah. You've done beautifully to balance. I also found I found that I was not only flying through these histories, these poems, but also going back. I was rewinding. I was tracing back history and watching it lead back to different moments. It was just a it was a different experience to read this book, Margarita, and I know how I can see on the page how 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 much you worked to to what did you call it? A fairy tale task. How much you worked on your fairy tale task. And and it's it's beautiful to to imagine that the readers who are encountering this book may also help this story grow by writing their own poems and stories of those things you didn't include. 
of their stories, of the histories and the individuals that they know. That's so amazing to have left space for them in the novel. I feel like that's something we talk about so much in picture books about leaving space for the reader, but to hear, to hear it left in this way in your poems, in this history is something that's altogether different and powerful. Thank you. Well, I, I feel like any of my verse novels uh, can be used in an interactive way, either as readers theater or to invite children to write uh, poems that they would insert into the context like um, of any multiple verse, but even if it's multiple voice, but even if it's a single voice that I still may have omitted um, the emotions after a particular incident in the story. And so I, I feel like poetry is just an invitation for us to meet in midair the poet and the reader, our emotions are in those open spaces. People always say white space, but I think of it as open space between lines and between stanzas. That's where the echoes of our emotions are, and we can meet in midair there and understand each other. <laughs> yes, yes. Oh my word, we, you and I first talked and last talked, both, both, uh, for Bravo with Rafael Lopez. And to know that that came, that that was not the genesis, but it was the first seeds or something of dreams from many rivers. And it also makes me think that at that time when we spoke, you were also the young people's poet laureate. And what? that I haven't had a chance to ask you, how was that? You know, it was really wonderful. Um, It was such a a privilege and yet also a responsibility. And um, I, I could, I don't feel like I could ever do it justice in, in the two years I couldn't visit every, and you can't travel constantly. You can't visit every school, you can't go out to every rural area with, that doesn't have a library to the towns where where farm worker children go to school, uh, living several families to a garage. Uh, they've never owned a book. They don't have a library. Um, the the book deserts out there are in places like central California where I live. Mm. And, um, Mm. I did, you know, I was able to go to some of them and, and, and also to travel to other parts of the country, but I could never do it justice completely. So one of the ways in which I feel like, uh, someone in a position like that has the, the greatest opportunity to, uh, spread, the uh, joy of poetry is by speaking to teachers and librarians who then uh, spread that joy of poetry in turn to the many students that they come in contact with. And then when I have a chance to go to a conference and speak to the people who teach the teachers and librarians, that feels like you're really 
you know, spreading lots of seeds out there for for planting a love of poetry. And and one of the main things that I tried to do in speaking with adults is to just warn them that if they are afraid of poetry, that's a contagious fear. It's like a virus and everybody else will catch it. Mm. So they need to forget that their college professors terrified them when they studied poetry. They need to stop asking children to interpret poems. They need to allow children to enjoy poems as if the poems were music because the poems are music. And you don't analyze music. You enjoy it. Wow. That, <laughs> that's so cool. <laughs> I love knowing that that you you were able to be out there you were able to 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 follow that the roots all the way back up to where where some of those seeds are being planted and to to help plant more seeds with with teachers with adults that work with young children knowing that i come back to this line all the time from this Stephen Sondheim musical called Into the Woods, which is, careful the things you say, children will listen. But we must always yes. be mindful, right? That if you are, if you act, if you show a disdain for poetry in this case, then that's what they'll pick up too. And that does and a I, lot and of I harm. Just, I just want to give everybody permission to enjoy poetry and you don't have to understand it. The poet didn't always understand it. <laughs> that's, well, that's a, so because that's a special because, Well, because we're talking about emotions, like yeah. with music. It's not all factual. There are facts in poems, but it's not all factual. You don't have to um, dissect it. It can just be... You can just experience it and feel it and feel it the way that you feel it, which might not be the way the poet felt it when they wrote it. Most of us, I've talked to other poets, most of us cannot answer the questions about our own poems that appear on um, state tests. <laughs> That's, that is we, wild. Because we, don't, we have not analyzed. No. We've enjoyed writing our poems, but we haven't analyzed them in this uh, um, kind of mechanical way. But they're trying to re reduce them to something that can be quantified rather than something that that has those open spaces and echoes and places where people's emotions meet in midair. Oh, my word. Well, first off... Let's talk for another five hours because I never want to let this conversation go. Um, <laughs> second, more seriously, um, thank you. Thank you from all of us that have the great privilege of working with children and of getting to share books like these, books that, that, there is space for children to explore and see themselves and ask questions and wrestle and emote and feel and feel for others. Uh, 
I know that every author out there is trying to connect in that way with a child, and it is a very special privilege to be a librarian and to get to work on that side of books where you bear witness to the way children interact with and connect to books. So thank you for making those books that we have that privilege to hand to our readers for them to see their worlds open up. Thank you so much. I, I'm going to end on the only way I know how to, which is to turn to you and to give you last word for those children, Margarita. I will see a library full of children tomorrow morning. Is there a message that I can bring to them from you? Yes, please tell them that all of their stories are so important. Their voices matter. And that when we listen to each other, we start to understand each other. Um, Sharing our voices and listening is the uh, seed of peacemaking. So that even if we we enter that room, you know, thinking that we hate the person next to us, after we hear their story, we might find that we have more in common with them than we thought. The Children's Book Podcast is recorded and produced by me, Matthew Winner, in my library studio in Ellicott City, Maryland. You can subscribe to the podcast and access the archive of over 550 episodes at matthewcwinner.com slash podcast. Our theme music is by Poddington Bear, care of the Free Music Archive. All views and opinions expressed on the show are those of the individuals and do not reflect the ideas or viewpoints of the publishers of the books referenced. Want to help out the show? Writing a review on iTunes or sharing the podcast with friends through Facebook, Twitter, word of mouth, or any other means helps reach more listeners, which leads to more content and more amazing guests. And that's a very good thing indeed. We know you value what you put in front of your kids, especially when it comes to screens and podcasts. That's why we're excited to share a new podcast from our friends at Sleepiest, creating bedtime stories to help your kids fall asleep fast. Hello, Abby here. If you've got children and find bedtimes a struggle, I'd like to tell you about Coco Sleep, a children's story podcast designed to make bedtime a dream. Coco Sleep turns a chaotic bedtime into cosy bonding time. The stories are delivered in a pace that gently slows. Rumour has it that no one's ever heard an ending. So search Coco Sleep on your favourite podcast app and let's make bedtime a dream. That's K-O-K-O Sleep and I'll see you there.